Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 19 through 36. Hear the word of God. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl, and she had a spirit of divination, and she brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. And while she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High Lord, who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, who was very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and they're advocating customs that are not lawful for us Romans to observe. And so the crowd joined in in attacking them. And the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and beaten and flogged. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and they ordered the jailer to keep them securely. And so following these instructions... He put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing, singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately, immediately, All the doors were open, and everyone's chains came unfastened. And when the jailer woke up, and he saw that the prison doors were wide open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself, since he supposed that everybody had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights. And rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and said, What must I do to be saved? And they answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, you and your household, and you will be saved. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. At that same hour of the night, he took them, the jailer, and he washed their wounds. And then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house, he set food before them, and he and his whole household rejoiced that he had become a believer of God. Church, this is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So for the past couple of years, a group of girls and I have been writing to a guy on death row. His name is Mike. And Mike lives in Riverbend Maximum Security Prison, just a couple miles from here. We started writing to him, me and, raise your hand if you're one of the pen pals. Yes, yes, Claire Scott, yeah, four of them back there. We started writing to Mike because we read a book during COVID called Just Mercy. How many of you have read this book? Yeah. It's about a civil rights attorney who is 
advocating for and walking alongside people who have been imprisoned wrongfully and who are executed. And so I got in touch with a woman who knew Mike, and she said, yeah, you can talk to him. Why don't we Zoom all of you and your girls, and I'll have him on speakerphone, and you can hear his story and ask him questions. And so one night, a Tuesday night, we were all on Zoom in our little squares, this woman Hannah holding up her phone as Mike introduced himself to us, asked us about ourselves, what sports we played, what we did for fun, what we thought of church, and he encouraged us to write him. And so two, two and a half years ago, we began that process. A few weeks ago at 6.30 in the morning, which is when they want to gather to hang out with me, in the morning, we gathered here to write Mike another letter, and I haven't even told you all this yet, but he just replied. And in his letter, he said many things, but he said, it was really good to hear from you and the girls. I'm so glad you and the girls are well, and I really appreciate you thinking of me. Keep me in your prayers. Believe me, all of you matter to me. Be well and be blessed, and tell the girls I said hello. Hello, from Mike. (laughs) While it is still dark in Nashville, Tennessee, at 6.30 in the morning, you can see the fluorescent lights in a church building and girls gathered around an envelope, writing to their Paul. And in our story today, we find Paul and Silas, and they are walking to a place of prayer And as I read this passage with the Compromands to prepare a sermon today, they said, wow, two regular dudes. Two regular dudes walking to a place of prayer. One, a tent maker, Paul, I didn't even know that, made tents. And they were being followed for days by this slave girl who had a spirit of divination. So think about the man in the cave who had a legion of voices in his head. This little girl plagued by some evil spirit. And so she's shouting behind them, these guys are slaves of the Most High God and are proclaiming this way of salvation. And the irony is that she's correct. Paul and Silas are slaves of our God, and they are proclaiming a way of liberation and freedom through belief in this Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul gets annoyed, Scripture says, He gets so annoyed with a little girl tagging along after him and his friend for days that he turns around finally, and he says not to her, but to this spirit, get out of her. We're done here. Go home. And the owners, who must have been close by because they see this happen, the owners of this little girl get so mad that they bring Paul and Silas to a marketplace and present them before the magistrates at the time, a magistrate, just a a judicial officer, a civil officer. And they say, these guys are practicing unlawful customs. It's not right, and they deserve to be punished. And ironically, this is also true. What Paul and Silas were doing, preventing these men from having their economic security based on exploiting this little girl, that would have been seen as subversive. 
Their subversion of the systems of power, that was the gospel work happening that got them labeled criminals. And so then they were beaten and they were flogged and they were stripped of their clothes. Does this remind you of anybody, church? If you mess with the status quo of empire, this is your fate. So they're thrown in prison. They're thrown into the innermost cell and their feet are shackled. When we read accounts of people in solitary confinement talking about their experience of living in an innermost cell, it almost word for word matches up with what the psalmist describes as hell. So they're thrown into hell, and who knows how many hours they're sitting there before one of them gets the idea to sing. And they sang so loud the prisoners could hear them. I wonder when the last time was that those prisoners had heard singing, had heard music and a melody, voices that blended so well together instead of shouting or banging or screaming. And so they sang and they prayed, and then God, who is this great attention-getter, as one kid told me, this great attention-getter made an earthquake occur, and all these doors swung wide open, and the chains were released from their feet and their arms. And this was their big chance, y'all. They could have run. They could have sprinted out of that jail. It was so easy for them to escape. They had the whole scene set up. But then the jailer, the jailer looked around. And assuming that everybody was gone, he drew a sword. And he was about to kill himself because he had failed at his job. And church, this is when this ordinary story of a jailbreak becomes the gospel of Jesus Christ because these men don't leave until every single person is free. I want to say that again. These men do not leave. They are not free until every single person in that jail is free. That means the jailer. And so the jailer, about to end his life, is stopped by a voice from Paul. And Paul says, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And then, and then the jailer asks for the lights to be turned on. And so I want to backtrack right here and stop at this moment. Because when I read this this week, this stopped me in my tracks. It was still dark when Paul shouted at the jailer. It was still dark when Paul shouted at the jailer. While it was still dark and they were leaving the prison before the lights were even on, a man's about to take his life, and Paul says, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And then the lights get turned on. God, once again, doing God's best work in the dark. And TJ read this morning that you are the light of the world. You give light to all in the house, not just one, not just your comrade, but all in the house but light doesn't work very well in the light, does it? 
There's a female preacher named Christine Kane, and she took her daughter to Walmart to buy a Barbie flashlight. And the daughter is messing with the flashlight in line, the checkout line, and Christine says, okay, here are the batteries. You can go ahead and put it in. So the daughter is messing with it, puts the batteries in, turns it on, and then she cries out in frustration. She says, I can't really see any light. I thought it was supposed to be a flashlight. And her mom says, oh, it's because we're in Walmart, and we all know how (laughs) brightly lit Walmart is. She said, okay, well then can we please go find some darkness, mom? Her daughter, her six-year-old daughter understood that light works best in the darkness. But to be the light of the world, to follow after Jesus when he says, come on, it means we can't just follow the light, right? It means we have to be willing to be inconvenienced and stopped when we don't want to be. Paul and Silas, they're on their way to a place of prayer. Maybe all they wanted to do was just rest after a weary long journey and settle in and pray and sit in a comfy pew. But then they've got this annoying girl tagging along after them. The gospel stops Paul in his tracks until he does something about it, something costly, but something freeing, something right, putting his light in the darkness. And then again, God, with an earthquake, I mean, God makes it so easy for us sometimes. God says, the jail doors are literally wide open. Get out of here. But don't leave anybody behind. Even the people you hate, even the people who control you, even the people who we are paying to be your enemy. And so again, Paul is inconvenienced and stopped for the sake of the gospel, to be a light to be a light for all in that prison. I think about in my own life times that it has been dark and people have been lights. And about a year ago, I stood up here preaching about my sister-in-law, Tulu, who was a week from dying. And I was telling you all this, that every night someone different would put a candle on my doorstep and light it. And I would get home from work and I had no idea who did it. In the darkest month of my life, someone, anonymous, was the light for me. We write Mark, excuse me, we write Mike, don't tell Mike I said that. Not because it feels all gooey and good inside. We do it because we like being pen pals. We do it because it connects us with someone. We do it because two miles away, there's a man who's ripping open a letter to see six different kinds of handwriting, to see someone saying, hey, we aren't free until you're free. And we're right here, sitting way too early in the morning, thinking of you. In the next service, we're going to confirm 29 kids, 29 8th graders. Joseph will be one of them. Joseph, give a hey. (laughs) He's so excited. (laughs) That's all we've talked about this morning. (laughs) 29 youth are going to become official members of this church. And I wish someone had told me, and I wish they can hear 
What they've learned this year, it's okay if they forget it. Their take-home binders with all of the facts, it's okay if they lose it in the car on the way home. But being the light, being the light in the darkness, stopping before we get to be free too and waiting on those who aren't, that is faith. That is church. That is what it means to enter into these walls and get replenished and then go back out and find those dark spots and bring our Barbie flashlights and say, where can this best be seen? Because if I'm shining it in places where there's already a million Barbie flashlights, I'm not needed there. I'm needed in the dark. I'm needed in prisons. I'm needed on the street. I'm needed in school. I'm needed here. I'm needed at work. Because I see darkness everywhere. It's not just in the typical places. It's in the person sitting next to you in the pew. They might need you to be their light. It's in the blood drive down the hall. It's in the Super Bowl of caring, bringing a can, introducing your kids that this is how we be light as church. It's simple little things that magnifies a whole room. It magnifies a whole world, just like Christ did when he came to us in the dark. And not just when he came, but Mary, when he had died, guess when she went looking for him? While it was still dark, she tiptoed to the tomb. While it was still dark, she hoped, she wondered, could God have overcome death? Could love really have won? While it was still dark, one woman went to find out. And so we got to be Mary, y'all. And we got to be Paul. And we got to be Silas. And we got to be that little girl with the Barbie flashlight. We got to be the light of the world for all in the house. Amen.